Thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen most. If you're looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Uh, We are grateful to be able to gather together and uh, worship you. God, I pray uh, that you will bless um, uh, this church, that you would bless uh, our um, attempts to reach um, the the west side of Olathe, God. Uh, We are your workmanship. Uh, You prepare work for us to do. And God, I pray that you would prepare a harvest, uh, a a field ready for um, sowing. And uh, I pray that you would reap a great harvest on the west side of Olathe. Um, we know that you're going to do this work, uh, but we want to be those laborers that you send. And we want to uh, do this with you, God. So we pray that you work through us um, and uh, that you would be glorified uh, in us bearing fruit. Father, I just want to also say I, I, I love in Scripture when it says, but God. It's just a testament to, to your working and your glory and your power to come in and uh, change things. But God, and, and I, I love it when your word says that, Father, so, so uh, praise you uh, for that. God, I pray that you bless Rex as he brings us the message today and uh, that you would open our hearts um, and that uh, the spirit would convict us and uh, we would be able to grow um, through uh, uh, Rex's sermon. So God, we, we love you, we thank you, and we pray all of this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Get my stuff together here. Thanks, Nicholas, and uh, thanks for the opportunity, Colton. Where are you? There you are. Okay. He didn't leave anyway. That's good. Uh, uh, several months ago, he asked me if I would be open to doing this, and I said, oh, of course. And, you know, I, I told him, you know, it's a privilege to uh, reflect on something like the grace and love of God. Oh, my goodness. And uh, one of the opportunities I have that a working pastor doesn't have is that they have so many plates spinning that they've, they've just got to stay busy at it. And for me, this was an opportunity for me. You know, I would read a little bit about the grace of God, and then, man, I could just push back from my desk and go, oh, I just want to think about that. And, and it, you know, it's just a, a joyful experience to just ponder such rich themes from Scripture about God's grace and His love. Um, and so it's a privilege, and thank you. And then he told me that Pastor Mike told him that, hey, you know, just let Rex do whatever he wants to do. Don't bother him. Uh, you know, he's old enough. He, you know, uh, he doesn't have to follow the protocol. And so for the next couple hours, just sit back. You know, <laughs> we've, we've got time. And, uh, and that, so that's, that's freedom. Uh, we've been making our, thr- our way through the book and using that as a study guide of sorts. Uh, the knowledge of the holy. How many of you, be honest, I'm going to ask for a raise of hands. How many of you have been able to, you know, ponder it, keep up, read through with us as we've made it through uh, week to week? Just a few, three. Okay, uh, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to be talking about the grace of God. Don't put a bunch of guilt on everybody, but I'm going to. And, you know, well, a little bit of guilt. Uh, We're too busy, you know. Um, some things take some reflecting and some, some time. Uh, this is my copy. Your copy looks a lot better than this one. But uh, this is the 1973 version of the Knowledge of the Holy. And 
And, uh, you know, going through it this time has just, you know, brought back all kinds of memories from I was a 20-year-old kid in a freshman at Bible college. And, um, you know, I don't know if you can tell under these lights, but it is really yellowed. You know, that's how old it is, you know. And, uh, and almost every page has underlining on it and um, something written in the column and margin and uh, there's no highlighting in here. You guys are old enough to know why? There were no highlighters in 1973, right? You had to go slow enough to get out your pen and underline. Why am I underlining this? You know, every page. For me, it was... Uh, God had used this book in the life of Dr. Jerry Falwell. And so as Falwell was t was, had tended to do, he uh, had his printing company create tens of thousands of these, and he gave them away. And I uh, went back into the book room one day and found, you know, a book of them. And so I, I took about 15 of them. I don't think I stole them. Maybe I did. But, you know, I took those and I started giving them away, too. And so then this one became mine. And it's just been with me for uh, 50 years now or almost 50 years. It changed me. I was a kid growing up in the church. And I had learned uh, to turn it off. Right. And uh, became pretty hypocritical in my way. So I've been. As a freshman in Bible college, um, God got hold of me. And this was one of the tools he used to change my heart around and reveal to me who he was. And again, I grew up in church. I should have, you know, had a pretty good idea of who he was, but I didn't really. And it, it, he had to get me. And... Uh, open it up to where I could really see God. And, I, you know, I, I went through a season where, you know, I, I quit dating, I quit playing, you know, recreational sports, and I did this. I just, you know, I found I, there was no television. I mean, it existed. But in my world, there was no television. And I had, I was a college kid. I had time. You college kids think you don't have time. You do. And this is what I did after class. And uh, instead of going on dates and things, this is what I, God poured himself in his grace into me. And I've never gotten over it. And I've been so grateful for those days, weeks, and months where um, probably the most vibrant part of my spiritual journey all these years God of all grace, whose thoughts toward us are ever thoughts of peace and not of evil. Give us hearts to believe that we are accepted in the beloved. Hmm. And give us minds to admire that perfection of moral wisdom which found a way to preserve the integrity of heaven and yet receive us there. Thanks, Colton, for that insightful treatment of God's justice last week. We are astonished and marvel that one so holy and dread should invite us into thy banqueting house and cause love to be the banner over us. We cannot express the gratitude we feel, but look thou on our hearts and read it there. Amen. You can't read that fast and move on to the next thing you just gotta you gotta slow down and ask god, god is this true of me do i feel this is this anywhere in my heart so if you weren't able to um you know read it through this time maybe god will give you another chance and take advantage of it because um it's worth it. Well, for the last several years, um, I, along with uh, Chris Tatham and Paulo Sacefa and 
Columbus, the Black Brothers sitting on the back row back there, always on the back row. Somebody come in early and take their seats so they have to move up, will you? Um, I told you, you know, black guys don't have to sit on the back row here. You guys, come on. <clears throat> so, but we've been hanging out with uh, Ethiopian and Nepali and uh, lately Iranian and Lebanese church planters. And some of the hardest places in the world uh, just to live and then add persecution. And uh, these guys are heroes. When we get to heaven, there will be a line for all of us, and then there's a line of heroes. These guys are, I'm just, not really, but they're, they're in this line of heroes. And um, what a privilege to be with them. And they think <clears throat> when we come that we are kings, <laughs> that we have resources and the ability to travel from our place to theirs repeatedly. And then they learn that we have cars, houses. And so they look at us like we are absolutely kings of the earth. I look at them and somewhere along the way I, I find the opportunity to say, I'm jealous of you. Because God has raised you up, and what they have in common is that they are generation one of what will be God's church. And they are planting it and carving it out. And they get to give it, <clears throat> Jesus was the foundation of the church, but these guys and gals become the ones who create the DNA. What's this church going to look like how is it going to behave and what will be its function and its values and you are the ones that get to carve that out I'm jealous of you and then I talk to them about one word that I say you need to build the church in your world on this word grace because their tendency is you know, to build it on discipline, to build it on structure, to, you know, to, to tell these young believers, now that you're a believer, you need to not smoke anymore. You need to not do that narcotic chat stuff. You need to, you know, you just got to get rid of those things because you're a believer now. And that requires discipline and structure. And this is the way we live our lives. And of course, there's a place for that. But the base, the foundation of all that we do in our lives is, is grace. And that's hard for us to get it straight. So I uh, selected that Ephesians 2 passage to look at today because uh, grace is mentioned there three times. Um, in verses 1 through 3, God's salvation, we learn, is, it's just not, not free. It, it met our deepest need. Um, Man, that, that is a, a dark picture there in verses 1 and uh, one and 2, 1, 2, and 3. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Not, not sick, dead. You can't do anything about it. When you're dead, you're dead. You used to live when you follow the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air. There's an adversary out there that's moving this thing. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, he, there's a spirit that moves inside us and makes us, makes us disobedient to God. All of us who lived among them at one time were gratifying the sinful, the cravings of our sinful nature, followed its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were objects of wrath. Remember last week as Colton, uh, he, he talked to us about God's uh, judgment in our life, and every sin will be judged. Great point. And uh, now turn it up a notch. It's not just you're going to stand before a judge and receive judgment. He's going to pour out his wrath on sin. And so you got friends, you got neighbors that need to hear the message of God's grace because he's going to pour out his wrath against sin. Um. Man, it's a dark, that's a darkness of our broken world. And, 
And um, that is our deepest need, is that we needed salvation from the spiritual death, being separated and cut off from a holy God. Something had to happen. Something had to change, or we were cut off. And then verses 4 through 6, but God, <laughs> Nicholas, uh, his grace comes because of his great love, is because of his great love for us. Rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Because of his love, he does three things because of his love. He makes us alive with Christ. And you should hear resurrection there. Uh, Christ rose from the dead. Well, we too. He makes us alive. He raises us up with Christ, number two. Because of his merciful character and his great love, he makes us alive with Christ. He raises us up with Christ. And he seats us with him in the heavenly realm. He made us alive even when we were dead. It is by grace you have been saved. It's like that's, wait, that phrase doesn't really fit that sentence. But in, 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 uh, in Paul's mind, he just couldn't get through that without saying, oh, look at the grace. Look at the grace, you guys. See it? Oh, my. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Not only are we resurrected with Christ in union with him, but um, we're royalty. We are co-regents with Christ. We are sharing in his reign. Someday that will become more and more fully realized in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. He, might, he wants to demonstrate, he wants to display one of the one of the uh, versions says, the incomparable, nothing like it, riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. So we are united with Christ. We get what he deserves, and he gets what we deserve. We deserve death. He took our death. And this, um, the amazing nature of grace starts to unfold. We start to Okay, we start to get a little bit of a gift. What, what, what is meant by the word grace? It's, we, we use, someone said it's the last great word in the Bible because a lot of the other words get so watered down, get so twisted and manipulated that they no longer carry that rich, full meaning. Grace still does. Um, <clears throat> you know, some langu languages don't have a word for grace. We, um, Paulus, you'll remember this. We were down in the Omo Valley and a group of people maybe about this size and we were, uh, it was my opportunity to, to teach and I was going to teach this on grace. And so we had in the midst of this six different tribes represented, six different languages. That's fun. You know, uh, and English wasn't really one of them. You know, I mean, uh, most of them could make it in Amharic, but that wasn't their heart language. And so I, you know, I'm stupid sometimes, and I just venture in and I say, okay, I want to know what is the word grace in your heart language, in your heart, in your tribe? What's the word for grace? And there were six different tribes, six different. Several of them didn't have a word and I think, didn't have the concept. They were tribes that, as far back in history as you can see, and beyond, they were tribes based on what they called ritual and, and revenge. Ritual, they would have celebrations and do things that were basically, you know, oftentimes based in ignorance, and then revenge meant uh, if you steal our cattle, we're going to steal yours. We, there's no law. It's the Wild West out there. There's no law coming to enforce goodness and righteousness and true judgment. You're on your own. And so you kill somebody from my tribe, I owe it to my ancestors to kill somebody from your tribe. That's life. So walk in there and say, it's grace. <laughs> and they don't have a concept. And oftentimes not a word. And so 
uh, Muga, the director, and Paulus was in there helping uh, with tribe by tribe, trying to figure out, okay, what would, okay, it's about God's forgiveness and goodness and kindness and doing something for someone by way of a gift. What would be a word that would convey that? And so little by little, they started to come up with a word that was like, okay, kindness. We have a word for kindness. We have a word for forgiveness. And, okay, we're getting closer, you know. Um, You and I have a word. I don't know if we practice it very well. Grace. Um, So, uh, you know, way back I did some research on where... You know, every word has an etymology or a history, and how did it evolve to where it is? In the the Greek language, they were lovers of beauty. Um, Whether it was the human body or uh, artwork, sculpture, dance, uh, athletic achievement, the Greeks were the ones that valued that so highly where we got our Olympics. Um, And so it, it was that thing that got that you would look at a piece of artwork, a, a, a sculpture by Michelangelo, or, and you would go, oh my, that's amazing. You know, it, it inspires. It, it pulls something out of you. It was, it was said in the uh, Greek language, that was, that was grace. Uh, charis was the word that they used. And, and, and so there was this thing. And then it became not just the thing, it was that that, came from the artist to the observer and that that thing that you know the artist put something in that sculpture that moved me when I looked at it or when I saw that picture or that the way the athletic achievement where you know where our gal got bronze in the marathon for and she'd only run three marathons and they're like how did she pull that off you know and the stories they move that thing grace chorus biblical writers picked up on that and 131 times they used the word chorus usually to talk about the grace that came from from god when we were dead in our sins god rich in mercy and his grace poured out on us And you and I are the recipients of that oh my thing. So at the least, we should understand it as this amazing gift that came from the creator to his creation by way of the life and death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I need a volunteer, someone that could come up here and help me. Can I get someone? All right, come on. Tell, me, tell everybody your name. Uh, my name is Garrett. Hey, Garrett. Nervous? No. They're for, it's a good crowd. I mean, they're friendly folks. And um, What do you do for work? What's your stuff? Um, I'm a nurse, but I'm going back to school. Are you really? <laughs> to, be some, to do something else? Uh, no, just make more money. Uh-huh, okay, <laughs> that's good. Great. Uh, I'm going to give you a gift. Um, if I might, these are pens. Um, I got I, I got them at the Everything's a Dollar store. So, how much do you think they cost? Dollar uh, and ten cents. Oh, probably. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but everything's a dollar. You know. So I, I asked them one time. So I was getting. How much is this? They said, "It's the Everything's a Dollar store." I go, "Okay, yep, it's a dollar." So, <laughs> but you're wrong. These are 50 cents because there's two in here. So uh, it's a trick question, but you, uh, you were way before ahead of me. So um, thank you for being a volunteer. Thank you for coming up here. And you can have those pens. Oh, thank you. Now, how much do you owe me for those pens? Um, you said a gift? I did. They're a gift. So... You don't owe me anything. Yeah. Maybe some appreciation, maybe, but not a big deal, you know, but I just, I wanted you to have them. I've, I've been hanging on to them for weeks now to give to you. I uh, didn't know who you were, but uh, 
Um, so um, they, um, they're good pens, they're only 50 cents, but they write well, I like them, and um, someday you'll lose them, or you'll run out of ink in them, they won't last long. Uh, yeah, you know, you know, she knows where they'll go. No. Uh, uh, they didn't change your life, they won't, you know? They're just pens. That's all they are. But God's grace, oh my, that changed our lives. He went after our deepest needs, and out of his great love, he gave us a gift that uh, none of us can comprehend. Thanks for being a good sport. Thank you. You're welcome. Use those pens well. So, uh, study hard and be a, become a more lucrative nurse. And so, it's a gift. Uh, someone said, you know, you can dissect grace like a frog, but it will die in the process. So, uh, and then only the true scientists will be going to be the ones that are interested in what you're looking at there as the guts spill out. But one, the third point in verses 7 to 10, we see that God's grace is what I'm calling the greatest show on earth. He pours his grace into our lives so that you and I can be people on display. With me? So that other people can see this. If what, I, if what I'm trying to sell you on here is that God's grace is the most important thing in our world, then people's ability to see it in and through us, well, that's, that's pretty important, and it's the, I'm calling it the greatest show on earth. Um, in order that in the coming ages, ages, not just the great age of grace, that we, we call it the age of grace that we're in, but in the ages to come, eternal ages, uh, the he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Um, you're saved by grace through faith, not from ourselves. It's a gift. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's, and it's the word poema. You should hear the word poem there. His workmanship. He's writing. One time I was going through a thing, and I went to see a counselor, and I said, here's what's going on. And, and it was hard. And he, he gave me a word I've never forgotten. I've used it often. He said, you know, God is writing a book in your life, and this is just one of the early chapters. And he is. It's, 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 he's working his workmanship. He's creating something, a poem in our lives. It's the greatest show on earth. Uh, most of you are not old enough, but uh, back in the day, um, the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey's Circus. Remember this? It, it uh, crisscrossed our country for 146 years, and they... They shut it down in 2017. Sorry, kids. But the, the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus, back in Cherubusco, Indiana, all the fifth graders would get on a bus in the summer of their fifth grade year, and they would go see the circus, the greatest show on earth. And you would get there, and the, the lights would come on, and the MC would come out into the main, main ring of the three-ring circus, and he would sing... He would, he would get out there and he would say, Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, welcome to the greatest show on earth. And the wonder was just being built. And then the parade would begin and the lions and the tigers would come out and... Uh, Elephants and the horses, and uh, eventually there were motorcycles that would run in their metal cages, and there would be high wire acrobats, and daredevils, and jugglers, and fire eaters, and on and on. This show would they would just whet your appetite for the greatest 500 crew, 100 animals would come together in the 
the greatest show on earth. But it wasn't. The greatest show on earth is the grace of God at work in and through his church. There will never be a greater display produced. There will never be a greater story written than the one that began with God sending his son, Jesus Christ, and now pouring his grace out in and through our lives. And you and I get to be a part of the greatest show on earth. So, I'm going to ask some hard questions. How are we doing at displaying what Peter called the, the manifold grace of God? The, it, I think the word is poikilois, and you can hear the word polka dot there if you listen close. The, the various, very uh, varied grace of God. It comes in so many different shapes and sizes. How are we doing? A book I'd recommend <clears throat> if you really want to take the time, it will take you some time to read a book, but by Philip Yancey on uh, what's so amazing about grace. He writes, uh, from a true story, I heard, heard fr it from a friend who works in the down and out among the Cabrini Green of Chicago. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men who were interested in kinky sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, because to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked her if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I'll never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. How are we doing? at displaying the grace of God. I grew up in the church. I know her fear. It's not easy to hold up, and the church struggles to hold up high standards. You know, it's not right to sell your two-year-old daughter to prostitution. And yet at the same time, administer grace to someone who has never felt that. How are we doing? Andy Rooney was a commentator on the 60 Minutes television show. Uh, he once, he died, you know, he once said, I, I've checked, um, excuse me, I've, I've decided I'm against abortion. I think it's murder. But I have a dilemma in that I much prefer the pro-choice to the pro-life people. I'd, mather, I'd much rather eat dinner with a group of the former. doesn't matter much who Andy Rooney wants to eat, eat with, but it does matter whether Andy Rooney missed encountering the grace of God from Christians who in all of our pro-life zeal don't speak much grace. It's hard. In his, uh, in his book, uh, Bono in conversation. Is it Bono or Bono? How do you pronounce it? Bono, Bono thanks. Um, a guy's name Mishka Asayas recounts a remarkable discussion that he had with the lead singer and songwriter of, of the group U2. What'd you say, Bono? Bono. I forgot what you said. Bono. Bono. Oh, now I'm confused. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce my own name, so... Uh, let's just call it Bono, and you'll know who we're talking about. Uh, 
Mr. Esaias, who's not a follower of Christ, began by asking the rock star, don't you think it's appalling when things happen <clears throat> when people become too religious? Mano <coughs> uh, acknowledged that there were certain risks and then countered by saying something fascinating. It's a mind-blowing concept to me that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people. But the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. Asias wanted to know more about what he meant by that last line, and he said, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know that what you put out comes back to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, or in physical laws, every action is met by an equal and opposite one. And yet along comes this idea called grace to upend all of that. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, and which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my final judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace because I know who I am. And I hope I don't have to be, depend on my own religiosity. Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us, so that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven. It's God's grace. It's that amazing grace. It's the greatest show on earth. I still think my favorite musical is uh, Les Miserables. And 28 years ago, my daughter and I went to London, England. Um, uh, we, we had a deal with our kids that I must be running out of time. People are, I can't even see the clock. Oh, there is no clock. Oh, there is a clock. You said, I, I'm fine, okay. That's that freedom I enjoy, Colton. That's just good. Uh, made a deal with the kids that when they turned 12, they would get a trip with dad to go, and we would talk about becoming an adolescent and growing into adulthood, and, and it was great. And I'm thinking, they may want to go to Branson or maybe to Colorado. Well, my daughter wanted to go to London, England. <laughs> London, England? How's that going to happen, you know? And so God provided some tickets, and we went. We stayed in the home, a bed and breakfast of a home of a, of a grandmotherly lady, just a wonderful lady. And uh, she told us she was not a Christian, and she, you know, she uh, treated us so kind and took us through her lovely English garden and fed us proper English breakfasts. And we told her we were going to go see Les Miserables, and she said, oh, my goodness. Oh, my. She said, I, I go see that musical every year. Done that for a decade. Victor Hugo in Les Miserables tells the story of Jean Valjean, a French prisoner who was hounded and ultimately transformed by forgiveness. He had been sentenced to a 19-year term of hard labor for the crime of stealing bread. Jean Valjean gradually hardened into a tough convict. No one could beat him in a fistfight. No one could break his will. At last, Valjean earned his release. Convicts in those days had to carry identity cards, however, and no innkeeper would let a dangerous felon spend the night. So for four days, he had wandered the village roads seeking shelter against the weather until finally a, a kind bishop had, had mercy on him. And that night, Jean Valjean lay still in a overly comfortable bed until the bishop and his sister had drifted off to sleep. He rose from his bed, rummaged through the cupboard for the family silver. And he crept off into the darkness. The next morning, three policemen knocked on the bishop's door with Valjean in tow. They had caught the convict in flight with the stolen silver. And they were ready to put this scoundrel in chains, this time for life. The bishop responded in a way that no one, especially Valjean, expected. <clears throat> so here you are, he cried to Valjean. I'm delighted to see you. Had you forgotten <clears throat> I gave you the candlesticks as well? They're silver like the rest, worth a good 200 francs. You forgot to take them. Valjean's eyes had widened. He was now staring at the old man with an expression that no words can convey. And when the police withdrew, the bishop gave the candlesticks to his guest 
now speechless and trembling, do not forget, do not ever forget, said the bishop, that you have promised me to use the money to make yourself an honest man. The power of the Bishop's Act, defying every human instinct for revenge, changed Valjean's life forever. (coughs) An encounter with forgiveness, especially since he had never repented, melted the granite defenses of his soul. He kept the candlesticks as a precious memento of grace and dedicated himself from then on to helping others in need. The novel stands, in fact, as a two-edged parable of forgiveness. A detective named Javert, who knows no law but justice, stalks Valjean mercilessly over the next two decades. As Valjean is transformed by forgiveness, the detective is consumed by a thirst for retribution. When Valjean saves Javert's life, the prey showing grace to his pursuer The detective senses his black and white world beginning to crumble. Unable to cope with a grace that goes against all instinct and finding within himself no corresponding forgiveness, Javert jumps off a bridge into the Seine River. I ask myself several times, what is it about those themes of grace and forgiveness that would pull this grandmother, who's not a follower of Jesus, back to this musical year after year after year, and yet she wouldn't align herself with the followers of Christ. How are we doing? Let me ask some other questions that are probably in your mind. What about in the rough-and-tumble world of business and politics isn't being armed with grace a bit naive to cause nations to change how do you how do you fight a nasty diabolical dishonest culture war and do it with grace when the rules of politics are rules of ungrace How do you fight graciously? When the definition of marriage and the sanctity of human life and the ethics of sexuality are all on the line, everything's on the line, and we have to speak up, we just have to, how do you fight that battle with grace? Phil Piancy, back in the late 80s, early 90s, was on the front lines of watching the Iron Curtain come down and With great insight, he writes, he said, The Cold War, says former Senator Sam Nunn, ended not in a nuclear inferno, but in a blaze of candles in the churches of Eastern Europe. Candlelight processions in East Germany did not show up well on the evening news, but they they helped change the face of the globe. First a few hundred, then a thousand, then 30,000, 50,000. And finally, 500,000, nearly the entire population of the city, turned out in Leipzig, East Germany, for candlelight vigils. And after a prayer meeting at St. Nikolai Church, the peaceful protesters would march through the dark streets singing hymns. Police and soldiers with all their weapons seemed powerless against such a force. Ultimately, on the night, a similar march in East Berlin attracted one million protesters. The hated Berlin Wall came tumbling down without one shot being fired. A huge banner appeared across a Leipzig street. Wir danken dir Kirche. We thank you, church. Then in 1989, ten nations, Poland, East Germany, Hungary, Czechoslovakia, Bulgaria, Romania, Albania, Yugoslavia, Mongolia, the Soviet Union, comprising half a billion people, experienced nonviolent revolutions. And then, and I choose these words carefully, by the grace of God, 
Journey Bible Church got involved. 91, uh, the Laughlin family, Jeff and Carol Laughlin and Mike and Debbie Johnson and a number of others formed groups that went over in the wake of the Iron Curtain falling and decades of forced atheism. They went over and went into the cultural palaces of Minsk, Belarus, or all of Belarus, and showed the Jesus film to a thousand people would pack into these cultural palaces. And then at the end of the film, they would give an opportunity to respond to the grace of God in, in the life of Jesus Christ. And most of them would stand to their feet and come to the front of the auditorium. And they did that night after night after night, team after team went over. And by the time they were done, almost 100,000 professions of faith had been made. This little church, this our little church. That's the greatest show on earth. A few years ago, the uh, Phyllis Souk, the president of the Baptist Union, told Jeff Laughlin, he said, you know what, Jeff? There are over 200 Baptist churches in the country of Belarus. Most of them are being led by graduates at that little Bible school that you started. Because <laughs> Jeff and Carol took their five kids, it was ridiculous, and they went over and said, you know, someone's got to follow up with all of that fruit or it's going to get lost. And so they went over and created a school. Train church, church plant pastors. Now I'm asking one other question. Or another question. What about where there's racial tension between groups where one of the groups used to own the other group as slaves? Not everyone in those groups has the ability to repent. Not everyone in those groups has the ability to forgive. What's going to happen? You and I are the church. And God's grace pours in and through us. And we're the greatest show on earth. One more thing, and this is the last one more thing, I think. If you understand grace, then you are skating near the edge of danger, and you can draw some wrong conclusions. As one person put it, I like to sin, and God likes to forgive, it's a pretty sweet arrangement. Romans 6 and Romans 7, Paul said, okay, where sin did abound, grace did all the more abound, then you know, some of you are going to conclude, but then well, that's sin. And he responds with the strongest adversative in the Greek language, meganoita. God forbid. In our vernacular, don't be so stupid. You know, I don't know what we would say. But we would say, stop. If you do that to grace, a guy came to his pastor and he said, I need to talk to you about something. They sat down for lunch. I'm going to divorce my wife. I know it's wrong. I've met somebody else, younger. She's beautiful. I like her a lot. I know it's, it's a sin, Pastor, but God will forgive me, right? How do you answer? He said he waited quite a while. And then here's what I told my friend in a nutshell. Can God forgive you? Of course. You know the Bible. God uses murderers and adulterers, and for goodness sake, a couple of scoundrels named Peter and Paul led the New Testament church. Forgiveness is our problem, not God's. What we have to go through to commit sin distances us from God. We, we change in the very act of rebellion. And there is no 
guarantee that we will ever come back. You ask me about forgiveness now, but will you even want it later? Especially if it involves true repentance, which is hard. So this great gift of God that he gave us called grace. We need to be careful with it. We need to take great care with it. It's the greatest show on earth. Uh, Gordon MacDonald said, The world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses and feed the hungry or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Grace is Christianity's best gift to the world. It is a force that is stronger than racism, stronger than hate. Would you pray with me? Remember the words of the songwriter as we prepare our hearts to pray. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You who are longing to see his face, will you this moment of grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. God, thank you for that amazing grace. You are a God like no other. And we worship you, we love you in response to your grace that that you give us as we humble ourselves you give us more grace and you allow us to grow in your grace we want to serve you and be a great display of your incredible kindness and so by your grace help us to do it in Jesus name amen This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast, and we'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.